Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Everybody doing good today? Cool. Listen, before I begin, I want to say that one of my favorite people is here today. Uh, Caleb Neese is here. Caleb is, just got back from doing a lot of service. He's right here. Caleb, stand up, boy. What are you talking about? <laughs> Caleb's right here. Yes, Caleb is here. And you, eight months, right? You were gone for eight months? Is that right? Yeah, eight months. He, but he is still serving uh, to keep you free. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm glad you're here. So, yeah. So, he got him a nice little haircut and looking kind of svelte, so it's really nice, man. Yeah, you look you look good for a change. It's awesome. <laughs> Caleb is like my son, so I can say those things to him. Anyway, listen, let me talk to you guys today. We are in the book of Romans, and I'm going to be Mr. OCD here. I'm going to move my podium up. Dan didn't do it for me, so I'll do it. Sorry, Dan. Listen, I am so glad you're here today. If you're watching from home Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love for you to join us here in person. We're going through the book of Romans in a series called 100% Unashamed. Why did I name it 100% Unashamed? Here's why. Because in today's society, you would think that we have to apologize for what God's Word says. You'd think that we have to apologize for what it is that God is saying to us and to the human race. You would think that we needed to be embarrassed about what God is saying. And I'm here to tell you, the truth of the matter is, the same thing that Paul was talking about whenever he wrote this, and we'll bring this up, this is our, this is our scripture, Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. We do not have to be ashamed of that case, okay, of that fact. That is a fact. We do not have to be ashamed of it. And Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of it, even though he was facing some of the same things that we face today. Listen, there is no new sin under the sun. I want you to know that. It's the same thing they dealt with back then. And all of the issues that he is talking about in the book, every one of them they dealt with in, we deal with today. Every one of them. In chapter 1, if you saw chapter 1, you probably saw all of those things that listed out. I think there were 30-something things that were listed out as far as sins. What happens when God takes his hand of restraint off? All of those still occur today, every single one of them. And so what we want to do is, is we want to make sure that we raise up a standard in society. And I'm going to talk about that a little more today. We've gone through and looked at God's righteousness, gone through and looked at God's wrath. And don't forget, don't forget what's occurred here is that the church that was in Rome, the church, the, the, the emperor at that time got very angry with the Jewish people and he expelled the Jewish people. 
He expelled the Jewish people and that left the church just with Gentiles like you and I. No more Jewish people. Well, seven or eight years later, they come back. They come back. And all of a sudden, the church is running totally different than it did before. And so the Jewish people came back with this, almost like this piety, this, you know, this high, high religion. And there was all kinds of conflict immediately between the Jew and the Gentile within the church. And so Paul heard about this and he decided to write to the church and say, here is the truth. I want to settle some of this squabbling. Here is the truth. And so we saw God's righteousness. We saw God's wrath being defined. What is God's wrath? It is the resolve, the settled resolve that evil will not stand. That's what God's wrath is, the resolve that evil will not stand. We saw how, how the people had no, they had no uh, recourse because they saw God through his natural revelation. And then we went through and we went through the list of sins of what happens when God's restraint is pulled off. When God finally says, okay, listen, you want to live life on your own? Then you live life on your own. And that's what we saw. We then last week took a look at that God doesn't show favorites. Paul goes right into chapter 2 and says, I know you think that you're so much better than those people we were talking about in chapter 1. But I want you to know that God doesn't show favorites at all. God is not a God that shows favorites. That we are all on the same plane. And so today... We want to finish chapter 2 actually. So let's look at Romans chapter 2 verses 12 through 29. 12 through 29 if you have your Bibles. Can we bring up the QR code if you're new here or if you want to do this. You can, you can actually get this. Just take your phone and you can point it up to the screen. And it will pull up the notes for today's message if you want to do that. Alright. And I'll give you just a second to do that. If you want to pull up that QR code. Let's go on to, to verse 12. It says, When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews, who do have God's law, will be judged by that law when they fail to obey. And this is important in the next line. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying it is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even when without having heard it. That goes back to the natural revelation that he talked about in chapter 1. And then it says, They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and, and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. It's amazing because what I've seen in people's lives is simply this, is that deep down, deep down, deep down, you know that what you're doing is wrong. Deep down. Even people who don't follow Christ, even people who don't, don't even believe in God, it's amazing how someone cannot believe in God, yet follow the moral code which comes directly from God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not. But it's amazing. For instance, who told an atheist that murder was wrong? Who did that? Where is it in their minds did that come up? Where did that rule come up with? I mean, who made up that rule? And you may say, well, of course it's wrong, Pastor Barry. Well, I know it's wrong. But I know it's wrong because God says it's wrong. That's why it's wrong. That's the whole premise. 
That's God's natural law. That's the way it is because God says that's the way it is. So what he's saying here is he's saying these Gentiles that you keep wanting to put down, they actually, they're listening and they know deep down in their hearts that what they do is right or what they do is wrong. And they never even were the people of God. That's what he's basically saying. Let's go to the next one. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. I want you to hear that. You boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You were convinced that you were a guide for the blind and a light for the people who were lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. And then he sets them up, doesn't he? He sets them up. Here's what he says next. Well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but you steal. You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but you commit adultery. You condemn idolatry, but you use items stolen from pagan temples. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scripture says the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of, of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them his own people? I want you to understand how powerful and how weighty and how um, shocking that statement would have been to a Jewish Christian. I want you to understand that. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them his own people? That is not what the Jewish people thought. They thought they were God's own people. In fact, uncircumcised Gentile who keep the law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. There's a lot to unwrap here. And I want to unwrap it for you in the next 20 or 25 minutes. Here is what he is saying. And this is going to go right into our first point. Knowledge without application is useless. I want you to hear that. Knowledge without application is useless. You have to understand that the Jewish people, they knew, they knew the content. They knew the information. But time after time after time after time, they refused to apply that information. Look again in Romans chapter 2, verses 21 and 23, what he says. He says, well, then teach yourself. Why, uh, why, why don't you teach yourself if you can teach others? You tell others what is what, not to steal, but you do steal. It is wrong to commit adultery, but you do. He's going back and saying, listen, you tell people not to do this, and then secretly you go and do these things. You tell people what the, what the Word of God says, and then secretly you go and do these things. 
1 Corinthians 1, 27 says this. <clears throat> it says, instead, God chose things the world considers fools in order to shame those who think they are wise. I want you to get that. God chose people and things that people think were foolish. They, they thought were foolish. He did that to shame those that think they're wise. God's saying this. He's saying, you think you're so high and mighty. And you think that because you know what the word says, you think that, that you have this relationship. But you who try to teach other people, you do the same thing that you're teaching other people not to do. And just because you have this chosen status that you think exists, I want to tell you something. It doesn't exist anymore. We're all on the same level page. Y'all listen, knowledge without application is useless. I want to tell you what I won't do. You will rarely find me arguing theology. Okay? You will rarely find me arguing theology with someone. Now, I know exactly what I believe. I know exactly why I believe it. And just to be completely transparent with you, I like to argue. I know that I know people are I know that will shock three people in here, but I do. I enjoy arguing. I like a good little verbal fight, okay? Because, you know, I'm my dad's son. I like it. I do. I enjoy it. And most of the time what I do is when I'm arguing with someone, I'm not listening to what they're saying. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say back. And so do you. You do the same thing. I like to argue a little bit. You know, it gets my old blood pumping a little bit. But I won't argue theology. I won't really argue much at all now because I'm 50 and no better. Uh, but I won't really argue theology. You say, well, Pastor Barry, you're a pastor. Why won't you argue theology? Well, I'll tell you why I won't argue theology. It's because it's useless. It's useless to argue theology with someone who wants to argue theology. Because the only reason they want to argue theology is because they want to argue theology. That's it. I was uh, visiting my future wife uh, at the time I was up and uh, a lot of people don't know this but Wendy went to a seminary for her counseling degree and I went out to dinner I'll never forget this I went out to dinner and I sat at a booth it was a, one of those round booths and I sat there at the booth and all of Wendy's theology uh, theology students they were all students with her and they all sat around and they were going back and forth and back and forth. I mean, it was like this deep theological thing. And that's great. That's what you're supposed to do when you're in seminary. And they looked at me and they said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I've never had anyone come to me and want to argue the tenets of theology. And that helped them know how to deal with their mom or pay the bills. I've never had a student that came to me wanting answers for why he feels depressed and for me to tell them why this mode, modality or that modality is correct or incorrect. And they all looked at me like I had three heads and they were like, hmm. And then they started arguing again. Because that's what you do when you're in seminary, right? I won't argue theology. Now, is theology good? Of course theology is good. I mean, I wouldn't be up here trying to teach you these things if theology wasn't good. Do you need to know what you believe? Of course you need to know what you believe. But the reality is that you can be <clears throat> the most scholarly person. 
you can have every degree behind your name. And it's all worthless if it, you don't apply it. It's all worthless if you don't apply it. Can you imagine going to a doctor and the doctor saying, hey, I'm Dr. So-and-so, I'm Dr. Smith, and I am a board-certified dermatologist. And you're like, hey, doc, look, I got this little thing, okay, right here on the back of my neck, you know, and I don't know really what it is. And him looking at you and saying, you know, when I was in school, those were called this and this and this and this and this. And I just wanted you to know that. I know, Doc, but you don't get it. I got this thing on my neck, okay? Yes, I know, and I told you. Those are called this and this and this and this. And he could tell me all about what it was called. But what I really want is to get the doggone thing off my neck and to be well. See, knowledge without application is worthless. So how do we change? The question is, how do we change then? Like, we don't want to be people that read the Word. Listen, what do I tell you to do every week? I say, bring a notebook, bring a pen, bring your Bible, and take notes. But I want to tell you this. If you are not applying what I'm telling you today, you first need to go back in the Scriptures and see if what I'm telling you is true. And if you find out that it's true, then you need to apply it to your life. How do you apply it to your life? Well, he gives the answer here at the end of the scripture. It says, and the true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by what? God's spirit. So what does that tell you? You take the word of God, the knowledge... You take Holy Spirit, that if you're saved is in you, and you combine those together, and out of that comes change. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. That's the process that he puts forward. Knowledge plus Holy Spirit equals change. Why is that so important that you get Holy Spirit? Let me tell you why. That's point number two. External behavior without internal change is useless. External behavior without internal change is useless. Listen, y'all, the Jewish people thought they had all the answers. They thought they had all the answers. Every time there was a question asked, it's almost like Jeopardy. Anybody like Jeopardy in here? Anybody? Yeah? Okay, the Durdens and who else? Because I know they like Jeopardy. They're there every day, every time. Sawyer Durden right here, he's, one day Sawyer's going to be on Jeopardy. He's going to have minus 400 points, but he is going to be on Jeopardy. I promise you. He loves some Jeopardy. I've been to his house. I know he does. But, but it's almost like Jeopardy. They have all the answers. Does that make sense? But they can't apply any of it. The external, the external looks good, but it doesn't correlate to the internal. It's amazing. I've told you guys about my various cars. And one of the things I love doing, I still love doing this, by the way, but one of the things I love doing in my Buick, okay, in my Buick, I had a, a two-door Buick. Remember I told you with the, the liner of the top was falling in, and I had 
Oh, I had hair at the time, and then I get them little speckle things that happen whenever the liner falls in. Some of you guys don't know that jive. I know you don't. If you're like 45 years old or older, you understand what I'm trying to say. You've driven a car where the liner's coming off, okay? Because I used to write my name in the liner up, up there on top when the liner would come off. Replacing the night liner was never even an option. Just letting you know that. But I used to have these cars, and, and I'm, you know, I told you, I kept a case of oil in the back of this car. And I would put about two or three quarts about every week or so. And I kept it in there. And, it, you know, it would, I was going through. I had an oil budget and a gas budget. That's what I had. And it was not a very attractive car. You know, it wouldn't drive very well. But let me tell you something. With the exception of the liner, the seats look great. The floorboards look great. The exterior looked fantastic. It looked fantastic. The wheels looked good. So I would go and I would clean that sucker up. Man, I would clean that sucker up. I would spit shine it. I would clean them tires, and I'd get a little brush, and I'd brush, brush it out. And back in the day, that, all you had was armor all. You didn't have this. By the way, if you're using this cheap foam on your tires, and then it just falls down, and it's all of a sudden clean, you're lazy. Come on now. you got to use something better. Get some tire shine. you got to put a little backbone into it. That's what I would do. I, all you had back in the day was armor all. And there wasn't ten different sides. There was one, armor all. That's all it was. And I'd shoot that sucker, and I every my seats were so slick because they were vinyl. You get in an armor on, you'd fall right out. It'd be like whew, you can just slide in, slide out. I'd get turtle wax, turtle wax. Listen, turtle wax. Now, for those who don't know, the lazy wax these days are the kind you just spray on and wipe off. No, man, I use turtle wax. It was in a little metal can about that high. And we had this little rag type thing that would come with it. it. It was, I don't know why they didn't make it bigger. It was about that big. And you'd have to turtle wax. And so what you had to do is, is you had to go a little, little bit all the way down. And you had to cover every square inch of your car on the ex exterior. Every square inch in turtle wax. And you'd miss a spot and you'd have to come back. And then here's what you'd have to do. You'd have to wait. You'd have to wait until it completely dried. And then you would go back out. And you would start wiping off that turtle wax, man. And it would make it shine. It would be awesome. And that's what I did. I would shine that sucker up. I mean, interior looked immaculate. Steering wheel was shiny. It wasn't those big, thick steering wheels like we have today. You know those little thin steering wheels that when you hit it with your head, when you have a wreck because there was no airbag. You know what I mean? Those steering wheels that cut a bit of forehead, cut your forehead right there because it was so sharp. Those steering wheels, those really hard plastic steering wheels. We had all that. But man, my car would look so good. Man, on the outside, it looked fantastic. And I'd get in that sucker, and it still ran like crap. <laughs> it looked good. I was rolling. Shiny going down. Uh-uh. <laughs> Black smoke coming all out, honey, because it was burning oil. It was awful. The exterior looked great. But that engine on the inside... No, man. It was still the same old engine. It hadn't changed. For some reason, I thought if the car looked good on the outside, that I would feel better about it when I drove it. That was wrong. I was hoping that it would change. I was like, man, if I put a nice stereo in here, and nope, the engine, what was driving it was still messed up and eventually would lock up and would die. That's what would happen. And we, 
as people of faith oftentimes fall into the same trap that I fell into. We think that if we have an exterior that looks a certain way, that everything would be fine. We think if there's an exterior that looks a certain way, we think everything would be fine. And here's what's going on. When the external, when the external behavior isn't aligned with the internal change, then all you are is faking it. All you are is having a shadow of being holy, a shadow of being spiritual, a shadow of being good. But deep down, you and I both know that you're not. And what Paul's saying is, he's saying, you do all these things, yet inside you're no different than you ever were. Why am I so passionate about this? I'll tell you why I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about it because there's been so many people who have come to church and some of these, these um, plastic Christians have been around them and they've burned them and those people that came to church never wanted to come back because they thought that's what theology and Christianity was. There's been bad experiences by people, maybe even by you, and maybe even by some of your friends, where people want so badly to look the part of a believer and look the part of a follower, but they don't want to take the time and discipleship that it takes to have internal change. Here's a little hint. Holy Spirit is going to take time with you because he uses your experiences to teach you. I have a lot of people that want to come to the church and they immediately want to jump in and do 15 different things. Hey, I want to volunteer for this. I want to volunteer for that. Hey, I want to serve this. I want to serve that. And I'm all for that. I love the passion and enthusiasm. But I tell them the same thing always. That's fantastic. First, what I want you to do is I want you to come to the church and I want you to sit and I want you to listen and I want you to learn and I want you to grow and I want to get to know you. And then, once we do that, then we can maybe see where it is that you would fit in. And you say, well, gosh, Pastor Barry, if they're willing to work, why won't you let them? Well, here's why. Because most of the time, people that do that, they've got that plastic Christian syndrome. They want to look good on the outside, but inside, nothing's changed. Why am I so passionate about this? Here's another reason. Because of what Paul says. And it's the third point. It's this. When our walk and talk don't align, others lose. When our walk and talk do not align, others lose. In verse 24 he says, No wonder the scripture says, The Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Others reject God because of you. I have met so many people who have rejected God because of the behaviors of those that proclaim to be a follower of Jesus but have never allowed Christ to truly change them from the inside out. I have met so many people who have never allowed God. 
I tell you this all the time, the saddest thing I've ever seen in a church is a 75-year-old baby Christian still playing the part, still taking up the offerings, still singing in the choir, and still acting the same way they acted whenever they were 21, 22. I know this isn't very popular to say, and we are a Baptist church, but you know, Christianity in the South, a lot of times, is just a cultural thing. We're no different than, say, an Hispanic or in, 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 uh, in, in maybe Mexico who is a Catholic. It's just what we do. And see, I think that God wants us, as a follower of Jesus, to go deeper. I want him, I want, and listen, this is the reason why I say this. This is just the facts. You would think that if the Bible Belt were so holy in the South, and I love the South, I'm never leaving the South. I went up to Ohio for three years, and I repented and came straight back home. That's right. I love the South. But I'll tell you this. Any guesses of where the highest population in America of online pornography is watched? The South. The South. It's the South. I know, man, those awful liberals up north and, they don't, and out west, they don't know what they're doing. Right? They don't know what they're doing. Can I be honest with you and tell you, we, maybe we don't know what we're doing either. Because there's no change. It's an external behavior. And when we, when we do not allow God to change us from the inside out, when we don't allow that, and we fake it, it's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you want to teach everybody else about what's right and wrong? Why don't you teach yourself? And what he's saying is very harsh here to the people and to the listeners. I don't know if you understand what the original plan was for God's people. God wanted to bless his people so much. He wanted to bless his people so much that other nations would see the greatness and the goodness of God and they would flock to see what God was doing in this little place in Israel. They would flock to see what was going on. That was the intention. They wanted to see, God wanted them to see, I'm going to make you great so that others will see my greatness through you. Is it any wonder then that Matthew says this in 514? Is it any wonder that Matthew says this? You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. I told you this a couple weeks ago and I'll tell you again. We have the same exact job as the people back then. We are to experience God. We are to engage with God. We are to allow God to change us. And God then will show his greatness through us. And other people will then come and see. But what happens too often is, is this. 
we skip the engaging and we skip the discipleship and we skip those things. And we go straight to, I want to show everybody how great God is. The only problem is, is that you still have to deal with you. And he's telling the Jewish people here, you have to deal with you. I'm telling you guys, when our walk and talk don't align, others lose. So then the final question would be, how do I make sure that I'm being genuine with God? Well, that's my final point. And it's this. Freedom is found when we are 100% real with God. What is our saying here at the church that we want to do and what we have on the signs? We want to help others experience God in real life. Today, I have walked through and taught you what he says in Romans chapter 2. 12 through 29, but I've done something else. I've also taught you why I planted Real Church, why Lynn and I felt so passionate about doing what we're doing, and why I get up here every Sunday. Because I want you to experience God in real life. I don't want you to have to fake holiness on Sunday and be a jerkwad Monday through Friday at, at your job. I don't want you to have to fake holiness on Sunday and then go home and not get along with your parents. I don't want you to fake holiness on Sunday and go home and have a horrible marriage. I don't want all those things. I want you to experience God in real life. That's what I want. That's why we call it real church. That's what we want. So that you can have an experience where you engage with God, you're discipled, you're in a small group, you're, you're in a women's study, men's study, you're doing those things so that you can grow. And the knowledge that you learn here on Sundays and during the week and Holy Spirit interacting with that knowledge, you then will begin to see a change on the inside out and you will begin to experience God in real life. And it doesn't have to just be a Sunday thing. I'm absolutely convinced that that's the starting point. The starting point, you know, we think about Peter and we want to judge Peter because Peter showed, he, he was so, um, Peter was always right out front. If you look in the scriptures, Peter's always listed first when they list out the disciples. Why is that? Because he was the most memorable. That's why whenever Jesus says, I'm going to have to die, Peter said, the heck you will. You're not going to die. You're not going to die at all. No way. I'm not going to even listen to this. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I've got work to do. Peter, before, before the rooster crows in the morning, because before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me three times. No, I never will do that. Cock-a-doodle-doo, he denied him three times. Why is that? The exterior looked holy. The interior, no way. And here's the great point, and I know I've told you this a million times, <clears throat> but it's important to note that whenever he met, whenever Jesus finally met Peter, whenever we finally see them interact, when we finally see him interact on the beach, here's what we see. We see Jesus asking Peter, Peter, will you desperately love me? And Peter says, I'll love you like a friend. And Jesus says, will you, will you love me more than others? And Peter said, I'll love you like a friend. 
And finally, Jesus says, Peter, will you love me like a friend? And he says, I'll love you like a friend. He let Peter know, where you are right now is okay, and I can grow from this. And on that rock, that's what he built his church on. He didn't want Peter to be super holy. He wanted him to be super real and be genuine, to have a relationship that starts at that point. See, what we want to do is, you guys know, I always tell the teenagers this, most of the time, guys, your relationships will last around three months, okay? It's usually between one and three months as a teenage relationship guru, whatever. I've seen a million of them. Come and go. I've seen a million of them. But most of the time, they'll last around three months. Why is that? Because after about three months, you can't fake your flaws anymore. And neither can the person you're dating. And so you finally say, I don't want that cray-cray. I'm out. That's what you say, right? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. She gets on my nerves. He doesn't brush his teeth, whatever. About three months. If you make it past three months, you'll probably go a year or so, maybe longer. Who knows? But that's what happens. Well, see, what we do oftentimes as believers is we want to stay in that three-month honeymoon phase with God forever. And he's going, I, I created you. I know your flaws. Just be real with me. Are you struggling with anger? Then be real with me. Are you struggling with this or with that? Then be real with me. And if you'll be honest and genuine with me, then we can start at that point and I can work with you and I can teach you through the process and it'll be a lifelong process. And I want to tell you one thing and I'm going to end on this. The greatest joy that you'll ever have in your life is not having to fake holiness and try to be something that you're really not. The greatest joy is to be genuine and have a God that accepts you right where you are and wants to progress forward with you in your walk with him. And that's what I feel like God has asked me to tell you today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you love us enough. You're not looking for perfection. Because if we were perfect, we would have no need for you. You're looking for obedience and willingness. You're looking for a willing heart, not a perfect heart. Lord, I pray that no one in here leaves the same way they came in today. I pray that they would be changed from the inside out. And that we all would experience God in real life. Not just on Sunday, but on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday at the ball game and on and on. In our relationships with other people. Lord, that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and have our final worship song this morning. If there's something on your mind, if you want prayer, you can come down. The altar is always open. It's always open. If you want prayer down front, let's sing our final worship song this morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, 
God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.